0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletau from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Rotterdam is Gert Vermeulen. Hert uh, is the founder and CEO of the Integrity Coordinator. And today we're going to be talking about the EU Whistleblower Directive. Uh, Gert, thank you for taking the time to talk to us
1: today. Yes, thank you for the invitation.
0: Uh, our pleasure. Now, first, and I, I, I hate to ask you this, but can you give us a brief overview of what's in the EU whistleblower directive? I know there's a lot there.
1: Uh, yeah, indeed. So, and uh, but, but I will um, I will try to keep it brief. So, I think the primary goal is pretty simple. So, the primary goal is to better protect whistleblowers. Uh, and um, Frans Timmermans, the the vice president of the European Commission, said at the time. If we better protect whistleblowers, we can better detect and prevent harm to the public. So, and I think um, that is a big change compared to the situation 15 years ago when I was rolling out whistleblowing procedures all over Europe uh, and facing a lot of difficulties. So, um, uh, But by now, um, March 2022, the directive should already apply to organizations with more than 250 employees and from end of next year on uh, also to organizations with more than 50 employees and it it also applies to each company each organization in financial services or subject to anti-money laundering legislation regardless of its size so including real estate brokers accountancy firms law firms uh, and so on so the aim is to protect whistleblowers And, and whistleblowers are individuals who report wrongdoing uh, encountered in a work related context and that can be pretty broad employees former employees interns volunteers uh, but even suppliers or employees of suppliers or, or shareholders or board members and they are protected against uh, retaliation and that can be uh, dismissal suspension, suspension demotion uh, but also poor performance reviews now, important is that in respect of retaliation there will be a reversal of the burden of proof so if a whistleblower submits a report and then gets a bad performance review it is up to the company to prove that the bad review was not the result of the whistleblowing report so i think that is going to be uh, challenging mm. and um yeah and, and, and whistleblowers they don't have to report internally first they can also go straight to the authorities um, and so you have to make it attractive a little bit for people to report internally and and make clear that you take every report seriously um because um if there are is the if there is an emergency or if a reporter has reasons to distrust the whistleblowing channel they can also just go public and if there is a non-disclosure agreement with the employee that agreement will become void.
0: Well, that's quite the change. I mean, you know, as you pointed out at the start, 15 years ago, there was tremendous hostility to the idea of whistleblowers and whistleblower lines. And now we see this embrace of it. How big a change is this likely to be for companies operating in Europe?
1: Well, especially if you have uh, subsidiaries in multiple countries, it's gonna be a big change. Uh, and the impact will be bigger than I thought originally a year ago, um, for a couple of reasons. So, um, first of all, this is a directive, and that means that it has to be implemented into the national law of each of the member states. Uh, by the way, each member state is a little bit late, so the only member state that made it to the uh, that made the deadline is Denmark. Um, But what we are seeing at the moment is that each country is implementing the law a little bit, the directive, a little bit different. Um, So that could already mean, for example, that you need a separate procedure in each member state. Because in each member state, uh, the local law will be a little bit different. Now, moreover, the European Commission has also indicated that secured and confidential whistleblowing channels need to be set up per legal entity. And you need to appoint an impartial or independent coordinator per legal entity. Uh, So so, um, each legal entity has to set up a local whistleblowing channel and appoint somebody who is impartial uh, to receive and follow up on the reports. Uh, Can also be two persons, by the way, one who receives and one who follows up, or, or a department. So local channels have to be set up per legal entity. And reports can only be handled at the group level, at the corporate level, if the reporter provides its consent for that. So, um, yeah, I think that is going to be a big change. Yeah, it sounds like it. And uh, just quickly, does the person,
0: the neutral entity, can it be the compliance department or does it need to be sort of an ombudsperson
1: role? Um, Yeah, so... Um, well, I've had a, a, quite a few debates about that, so I think in, in my um, from my perspective, the Ombudsman usually just provides um, uh, advice and support, mm-hmm. um, and in this case you have to re- appoint somebody who receives the report and follows up. So I think that should be a, a different person, it has to be somebody who is um, impartial. Um, And this can be the compliance department, like, for example, if you have a a compliance charter uh, that describes the independence of the function. Yeah, so I I think that is important, but in that case, it is important to also to have um, this this independence um, be confirmed somewhere. Well I think it would be good for compliance
0: teams in general just to have that. Now in the past there have been many issues with EU privacy law potentially conflicting with whistleblowing. Is that still a concern or does the directive uh, take that away?
1: Yeah so in my experience though sometimes it was a bit complicated but I, I always found solutions for that in the, in each of the member states uh, but it could sometimes mean that I had to set up a local whistleblowing channel in the, in a country like, for example, Germany or Spain. Uh, but well, we're going to have to set up local channels in each country now, anyway. So, <laughs> but uh, so the, the GDPR applies. Um, but when you are processing the personal data of a, a, an accused person, uh, you do not have to immediately notify that person that you are processing their data. Uh, you have to weigh the interests of the in uh, of the individual. Uh, against the interests of the investigation. Uh, So, uh, however, the identity of the reporter uh, has to be kept confidential, uh, unless the reporter is fine with making their identity public.
0: Interesting, interesting. Now, what should companies be doing to prepare for this new era in whistleblowing?
1: Yeah, I think a good start is to think carefully how you wanna organize this throughout the EU and start looking for impartial coordinators in each of the EU countries where you are doing business. Um, And and rethink the reporting process and the software that you are using. So it would be good if you have a a central software solution uh, that you have a moment built in where you ask the consent of the reporter to report it to the group level or not, and and for having uh, the case investigated by a group function or not so because well and then if you have no consent um it would be good to have a possibility for example to anonymize a case Uh, so as a corporate compliance department you still know what is going on in the organization even though you may not have all the details and i think it will also be good to think about how you will secure the whistleblowing channel uh, and uh, to whom you will make it available and whether or not you will allow for anonymous reporting. And, um, well, if necessary, uh, it would also be good to start a dialogue with uh, works councils or other employee representatives. It
0: certainly seems like there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that things are secure, uh, but work well worth doing. Uh, Are there any potential pitfalls that um, compliance teams should be looking out for?
1: Uh, uh, Yes, so uh, also new in the regulation, in in the directive, is that um, when a report comes in, uh, you should uh, confirm the receipt of the the report within seven days. Well, I usually do that much faster, so that should not be a problem. Uh, But you also have to provide substantial feedback within three months after you have confirmed the receipt. So it does not necessarily mean that the um, investigation is... is, uh, over and closed and finalized uh, though of course it would be good to have the investigation finalized after three months uh, but you have to provide some 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 good proper feedback to the reporter tell them where you are in the process because if you don't do that um, the reporter might go public um, and you can't keep them to their non-disclosure or, or confidentiality agreement huh? because uh, um, uh, they lose the trust uh, in the procedure and um, yeah, I also think um, uh, we have been discussing the legal framework um, habit. We should not forget that a good speak-up process is all about culture and behavior. And, and having a good and uh, speak-up culture is also, uh, well, an essential part of an any ethics and compliance program. That it is. And, you know, truthfully,
0: having to give an update after three months, even if to say we're still investigating, it is a good thing for letting people see that when they make a call um, to a helpline or reach out to someone as a whistleblower internally, that in fact, actions do get taken.
1: Indeed, and I will do that um, uh, uh, really more often than once in every three months. So it's important to to, uh, provide regular feedback. Uh, I I will do that, uh, well, let's say, at least uh, once or twice a month. Great, great.
0: Well, uh, here, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletelb from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.